Let's pray together, church. Our Father, we come before you humbling ourselves as the psalm directs us. Humbling ourselves as your servant, David, did. And Father, we come recognizing your glory, the power of your spirit to move through your word and through your people. Oh God, correct us now. Direct us. Humble us. May we hear your word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. On April 20th, history was made. You may not have known that, but you were there for it. Uh, Around 9 a.m., I believe it was, on that morning, Thursday morning, the largest rocket ever lifted off in Texas. Because everything's bigger in Texas, right, Belinda? SpaceX raised a a rocket off of the launch platform to loud cheers, loud celebration, and almost exuberance if you watched or listened to the liftoff. 90 seconds into the flight, everything is fine. 120 seconds into the flight, everything is fine. Mostly fine. And then shortly thereafter, the rocket explodes. Now, there was no one on the rocket. And for your information, that rocket was doing what it was programmed to do. And that is when there's trouble, detonate. So that no one is harmed or there's no uh, misguided rocket that lands on anybody's house. Many stood back and scoffed. Oh, look at there. They tried to launch a rocket and it just exploded. What a failure. However, SpaceX and the team, if you read any of their news, was this was a success. This rocket was the largest rocket ever lifted off the ground. And we got nearly two plus minutes of flight time and data that will allow us in the future to make corrections so that we will not crash our next rocket. And so that we will fulfill our great goal of, does anybody know SpaceX's great goal is to colonize Mars. That's their great goal. This morning, the truth that I would like to share with you and for us to remember over and over again uh, is that uh, there are mess ups in life and that as a regular part of your life, you are going to sin. There are going to be times in your life when you will and, and probably every day of your life when you will recognize I did not do this right. But it's not those sins that, that determine the, the trueness 
or the genuineness of your heart. It's not merely the mess-ups that we have. But rather, it's how we respond to those explosions, if you will, those detonations in our life that, that determines the, the genuineness and the true direction of our heart. So, so let me say that again one more time. It's not the sins, it's not our past sins, and it's not today's sins that truly define who we are. But rather, it's, it's how we respond to those things that, that define who we are and, and where we're going. Now, I'm going to use this morning two characters in 1 Samuel to, to undergird that truth for you. And, and hopefully uh, put us in a place where, where we believe that. And I hope brings us all to a place to where we know how to deal with sin when it happens. Because it's going to happen. Unless you're nothing like me or, or everybody else in this room. Because sin is going to happen. There will be explosions. What do you do with it? If you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. This is a little bit before our reading this week. This was from last week's reading, but it really sets the table for understanding a lot of what we read this week. All right, so 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. It says this. And this is uh, the Lord and, and... through Samuel, but the Lord talking to Saul, the current king. But now, Saul, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out, help me out, church, the Lord has sought out what? A man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now, if you were here last week, we looked at that, that the beginnings of this kingdom that God was going to begin with a man after his own heart. And the other kingdom was going to continually fade due to the way that Saul responds to his sin and the way the decisions that Saul would make on a regular basis. All the while knowing that God is raising up another kingdom in Israel and it will be a kingdom that will be an eternal kingdom, truly. Because ultimately he will have a greater son named Jesus some 1,000 years later. But this morning, what does that mean? That phrase, you've probably heard it before if you've been around church or if you've studied the Old Testament much. A man after God's own heart. What does that mean? And and I'm going to argue this morning from the scripture is that doesn't mean that that's somebody that does everything right. But that's somebody that responds appropriately when they do wrong. David and and all of the saints that God chooses to be his messengers and his vehicles in the scripture are not pristine, perfectly clean people. But they are people that when they recognize that they have fallen before God... When they have failed his his desires or his will, that they respond appropriately. Let's look at the story in the scripture this morning. 
One of the ways in which we look at Saul and David, they offer such a, a, a juxtaposition or a contrast of, of, of someone who is seeking after God or who is after God's heart and one who is not after God's heart, who's after his own glory. And, 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 and that's a great thing for us. And we spent the whole week last week. If you missed last week's sermons, please go check it out. But this week, we're going to look at a more of a comparison of the two because there's a lot in common as well between David and Saul. In fact, 1 Samuel 18, we began reading this week. I'm going to read you this story. Saul is trying to deceive David with his daughters, with his powerful and presumably beautiful daughters that can snare David unto his own death. Watch this play out. 1 Samuel 18, verse 17. Then Saul said to David, here is my elder daughter, Mirab, I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me, David, and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, watch this, let not my hand be against Saul, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I? And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, oops, she was given to Adriel, the Mahalathite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David. And they told Saul, and that thing pleased him. Saul thought again, let me give her to David, that she may be a what? A snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say to him, behold, the king has delight in you and all of his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words into the ears of David. And David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law since I'm a poor man and I have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Now, as we see, and I don't have time for the whole story this morning, but David is going to go out into battle with the Philistines and and he's going to put his life in danger in order to earn the prize of Michal, his daughter. And he and he does so. He he puts himself his life in danger. He goes into battle and he brings back even double what Saul asked him to do. But Saul's heart here. What I would define or what I would uh, describe as a deceitful heart. His true intention was to take David, the man that the people loved after he had killed Goliath, who they sang songs about how he has killed his ten thousands while Saul had only killed his thousands. The people loved David. Saul said, no, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get rid of this guy. I will deceive him to his own death. All right. You got it. Got it? Saul. Not a very good thing. But 
I'm going to offer to you this morning that David was not so far away in some of his actions than Saul was. Now, David's the good guy. He's the guy we pull for, right? He's a man after God's own heart. We, we, we kind of, our lens for Saul is, oh, he's the bad guy. That scoundrel, he was lying, trying to, trying to hurt David. But then when we get to some of David's stories, well, we have to be fair, don't we? Here's one. Remember, David flees from Saul and he goes to Ahimelech. Uh, and and he, he lies to Ahimelech. And he says, oh, uh, the king has sent me on a special mission. And uh, just uh, can you feed me and give me any sort of arms that you have? Any sort of weapons that you have? And ultimately, well, the story we looked at last week, that ends up costing Ahimelech what? His life. He dies because David deceived him. Well, David continues and he goes to another king. This one, Abimelech, as Psalm 34 tells us, or uh, his, uh, his personal name, Achish. 1 Samuel chapter 21, y'all still with me this morning? All right, watch this story. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servant of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart, and he was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gates and let his spittle run down his beard. He acted like a crazy man. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought me this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Here's David running for his life. He lies to Ahimelech. He lies now to Abimelech in order to save his life. Now, we may look at it and say, well, but he was, he was saving his life, not trying to take his life. And that is true, granted. But nonetheless, David is developing a pattern here of deceiving in the similar way that we know Saul also developed a pattern of deceiving. But here's the, here's the thing I want to draw your attention to this morning. Um, if you have your Bible, pull it out because it's not going to be on the screen. Um, if you got it on your phone, it's probably on your phone too. But I want you to see this. Psalm 34, which I've quoted several times this morning, which the psalm came from this morning. I want you to see how David responds. If you notice at the beginning of Psalm 34, it gives you the... The information about why the psalm was written. And it says of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. Or that's Achish. So that he drove him out and he went away. David recognizes Achish or Abimelech drove him out. And his response is this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. 
Let us exalt his name together. And then look at verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all of my fears. Here's, Here's the thing. A Christian is someone who has placed their allegiance, who has given their allegiance to the Lord, his or her God. A Christian is one who has said, I am defining myself now not as one of the world, but as one who is in Christ. And the governing authority over me is not going to be whatever I want to do or whatever my wife wants me to do or whatever my friend wants me to do. The governing authority over me is going to be whatever the Lord would have me to do. And if you have given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have entered into what Jesus called the kingdom of heaven. And that is not that, not that there's a castle for you to find, but that there is a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual group of people here on this earth that are together, humbled before God himself and living under the authority of a new king. And that is King Jesus. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. When David finds deliverance, the way that he describes it is that he sought the Lord and he answered him. Now let's look at one other illustration of of what's going on. And, and, And as we do that, this one is even more interesting in the way that David and Saul are comparable. But let me say my, 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 the truth one more time. In day-to-day life, you will sin. You will. And if you haven't recognized that, then there's probably some spiritual work that may need to happen in your soul. In the day-to-day life, you will sin. But it's the follow-up to that sin that reveals your heart. It's the follow-up to the sin that reveals your heart. If you let it remain and let it continue, that may be evidence that you are not right with the Lord our God. All right, let's look at one other story of, of Samuel and David together. Well, here's another. If you remember, this is probably in last week's reading, two times Saul has his spear, and as David is in the house with him or in the palace with him, playing music, trying to help Saul. Saul takes his spear and hurls it at David, trying to to pin him to the wall. Two times. Now, the first time, anybody throws a spear at me in this room, I'm probably not going to be in the same room with you again. But David did it, and the second time he said, that's enough. He realized what's going on. Uh, And then 1 Samuel chapter 19, I want you to see that Saul's rage is persistent. It is a rage that doesn't ever stop toward David. Now, not only did he do that earlier, we get to chapter 19. Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and his servants that they should, uh, what does it say up here? That they should do what? They should kill David. Now, David, or Saul has tried twice to pin him to the wall, and now he's employing his son. Hey, son, I need you to go and kill this person. The rage doesn't stop. That's verse 1 of chapter 19. We go down to chapter 9 of verse 19. 
Oh, this is one of the uh, pinnings. This is the second time. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in his house with his spear in hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with his spear, but he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall. David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might what? Kill him in the morning. You see this persistent rage. But Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal led David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michal took an image, laid it on the bed, and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. Any of y'all ever done that? You snuck out at night, you put the, uh, the image in your bed... I did that when I was young, um, and I, I got caught while I was out, and, I, uh, and it was not a good situation. Verse 14, and when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, oh, he's sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, bring him to me that I might kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed, the pillow of goat's hair at the head. And Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, he said, let me go. Why should I kill you? Notice here that Saul's rage is relentless. This is one of many stories in which Saul seeks to continually take the life of of David. It is a continual, unending rage against David. But guess who else had rage problems? Any ideas? It was a guy named David. In fact, let me show you that story in the story with Nabal. It's in chapter 25, and David has fled from the king now. He's out with a group of men who he's gathered. I think at this time it's 400 men. It becomes 600, but I think at this time it's 400 men, and and he's got men that are warriors, big strong guys. Uh, They'll be called the mighty men at one point, but they are guys who can can, um, take care of themselves in the back alleys, if you know what I'm talking about. These are warrior-type guys uh, who have come and said, David, we recognize God's special kingdom in you, and we're going to follow you and not King Saul. Well, they're out doing their thing, and they find a, a group of shepherds. And they protect the shepherds because uh, during this day, and historically, there are lots of, of raiders or, uh, or pirates, you might want to call them. Brian, where are you, Brian? There are lots of pirates running around taking people's stuff uh, that don't belong to them, taking flocks, taking goods. Uh, and David and his men were acting sort of like a, a bodyguard for a group of men. And they happened to be the, the, flock, the men in the flock of a guy named Nabal. All right, that's where we pick up this story. Chapter 25, watch this. And there was a man in Naom whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful. It runs with the name. One of y'all will get that. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men 
And David said to the young man, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and get him and greet him by in my name. And thus you shall say to him, Peace to you, Nabal, and peace to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time we were in Carmel. We protected your shepherds. Ask your young men if they will tell you, or ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. He's asking for a favor now from Nabal. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. And when David's young men came, they said, to, they said this to Nabal in the name of David, and, they, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told David all of this. And watch how David responds. And David said to his men, what's he say? Every man strap on your sword. Let's go, men. We are going to take this matter into our sword's hands. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David. While 200 men remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail... Nabal's wife, behold, David has sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. But the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything when we were in the field, so as long as we went with them. They were a wall to both us, to us both by day and by night, all while we, uh, all the while we were With them keeping the sheep. Pay attention. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master. And against all of his house. And he is such a worthless man. That one cannot even speak to him. So here you have the wise, the beautiful, the discerning. Abigail coming. And meeting Uh, David, on the way, she gives him words uh, that that please David. And she she gives him food and gives him supplies and and calms his heart in the way that that only Abigail could do. Um, Ultimately, uh, David came with intent to kill Nabal. But Abigail calms him down and is able to, to, to... Soften the rage that is in David's heart. And watch how it's described in 1 Samuel 25. And David said to Abigail, watch this. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Now what is David saying? The Lord sent you to meet me today. Blessed be God. 
Now watch how David phrases this. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt. David knew that in his heart it was rage driving him to crush Nabal. But God says, the Lord sent you to keep me from blood guilt, from shedding blood that would have been wrong to do out of rage. And from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely, verse 34, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you. God did this. God has kept me from hurting you. Unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly this morning, by morning there would have not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Now here's the point. We find David raging in a similar way that Saul was raging. He wanted to take the life of somebody around him because he didn't get his way. But what we find is that David recognizes where he was. He's willing to humble his heart and recognize that God's way is a better way and turn and, if you will, repent of his way or change his way into God's way. So let me say once more what I've said a couple of times, and that is this. In your daily life, you will sin. You will fail God. You will break commandments. And I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just saying that you will do that. It's the sin nature that is in each of us. However, how you respond to those failures is, is an identification of who you are in your soul. As a pastor, I, I fail often doing things that I ought to do. Uh, directing things in the way that I ought to. Speaking in a manner that I should speak. There are often times that I go back and say, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And church, I want you to know, I, I think that is the evidence of God's spirit in me. The fact that, that there are times when I recognize that I've done wrong, but don't keep doing it. As a Christian or as a, as a person, There ought to be regular times every day, every week, every season that you say, I need to do better. And there may be, uh, you may be in here this morning and you might be going through a season of you saying, you know, I've really made a hash of my life. I've really made some decisions that I regret. And I recognize those things are wrong. I need to be Right with God. And I have good news for you if that's you this morning. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ, by his word, has given us stories in the Old Testament of complete failures who have recognized where they are and turned their life to God. 
There's a guy in the New Testament that we're studying who was a Christian killer. Who was walking on a road to Damascus and the Lord revealed to him Jesus Christ. And he said, Lord, I'm, I'm in the wrong. I am transforming my life. And he became not continuing to kill Christians. He became a gospel preaching apostle named Paul. Jesus can transform any sinner. And I want you to recognize this morning that if you have, if you're at that place where you've been broken down, uh, a Christian hater, a God denier, a sin enjoyer, that you are not too far for Jesus Christ to transform you into a God lover and a daily repenter. Christian, a word for you. If you are not regularly coming to the place where you say, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name together. If that is not a regular occurrence in your life, maybe there's work to do. And maybe you need to figure out a how to be a repenter, how to be someone who goes before God and says, Lord, I, I need help in this. I'm doing wrong. I need to be right. Help me, Lord. And, and that begins in prayer. And that begins in, in studying and knowing God's word. But there, there's work to do for you. Let me tell you what, what the problem is. I don't have time to read this, this whole story. Samuel soon dies. Samuel was the prophet of God that, that told uh, Saul how to live and told Saul God's word and, and how to trust and believe in God. Y'all still with me? All right. Watch this. Samuel dies. He's God. He's Saul. He's Saul's lifeline to God, if you will. And when Saul talks to Samuel, he's like, hey, tell me what your God says. And it's not as if Saul's really trusting in God, but he's, he's using Samuel to get to God because he knows that God is a, a powerful and the most high being. Now Samuel dies. And Saul gets to this distraught place where, where he says, well, the Lord's not listening to me. And um, I'm, I'm, let's jump in just a bit in 1 Samuel 28. And, and he gets here. Verse 7 of 1 Samuel 28. Saul is, is scared. He's got a battle that's coming the next day of the Philistines. And, uh, and, and he's, he's scared. He wants to know, okay, what am I supposed to do? But, but Samuel's dead. So verse 7, we pick it up. Then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a necromancer. If you don't know what a necromancer is, in ESV it says a medium. But this is one who speaks to those who are dead. A necromancer. Saul said, speak out for me a medium that I might go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, behold, there's a medium at Endor. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And so the woman said to him, surely you know that Saul, what Saul has done, he, he's hidden himself. What Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? 
And Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment will come upon you. Just conjure him up. Then the woman said to him, who shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up for me Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. So she's brought up in some way in God's divine providence. Was this a demonic thing? It may have been. Was this a God actually giving a glimpse into Samuel specifically for Saul at this time? It might have been. We don't know. But whatever it was, it made the medium scream. And my, my thought is, my opinion is, she probably hadn't seen anything like this before. And Saul comes up and gives this message to David. Hey, you're going to die. I mean, to Saul. Samuel comes up and says, hey, Saul, you're going to die. It's not going to be good for you. Here's the point of all that. When Saul was distraught, who did he seek? He sought Samuel. In fact, he sought a woman who would conjure up a spirit from the dead. Saul's confidence was not in the Lord his God. Saul's confidence was in a man. Saul's confidence was in a woman that could bring up that man. In your day-to-day life, you will sin. Who will you call to when you sin? It's not about, can I do better? It's not about, what can I do? It's it's some about that, but, but it's not all about that. Ultimately, unless we're calling to the Lord for salvation, our willpower will fail. We will give in to temptation. Our sinful desire will Compel us. But back to Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me. Friend, in your daily battle with sin, will you call upon the Lord to help you? Sinner, in your lifelong battle with sin, will you call upon the Lord to help you? There is no necromancer. There is no drug, there is no surgery, there is no bank account that can save your soul. Salvation is in one name under heaven, and it is in Jesus Christ, the Lord. O saint of God, hear the words, and I'm going to close out today with just a snippet from Psalm 17 and 18. Hear, David, in this same time frame, I call upon you. For you will answer me, O God. Turn your ear to me. Hear my words. Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my God. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Christian, is that you? In your life, you will sin every day. But I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I will be saved from my enemies.
saints, let's magnify the Lord together and call upon his name. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we magnify the name of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, we recognize the sin in our daily lives, and we ask for you to deliver us, to forgive us, and to help us do what is right and good in your eyes. And Lord, we pray for any soul this morning who's among us, who may be searching, who may be buried under the weight of sin. And Lord, we ask this morning, deliver their souls from the bondage of sin and the punishment of eternal hellfire. God, deliver them. Turn them to Jesus that they might have life and life abundant. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of our loving, our precious, and our dear Savior, Jesus. Amen.